Hey guys, welcome back for episode two. So I know I said last week that these chapters were very, very short, and so therefore I'm going to be covering chapters two, three, and four for you guys today. Because honestly, who wants to listen to a podcast that is 10 seconds long? I mean, no one even wants to watch commercials for that long, so I won't bum you guys out like that. So without further ado, here's chapter two, Echoes of Honey. So when I first read chapter two, I'll admit I honestly felt a little dumb. When you first read it, you realize that there's a change in narrator and who's speaking. And I read the whole thing, read the whole chapter, and I was like, who is speaking? Like, I've read books for so long, and how come I can't understand, like, who the person is that's talking? Um, It frustrated me, honestly, to no end. But it does eventually change back to a narrator that we're familiar with, so I have hope. And I think eventually we'll find out who it is. So, chapter two starts off like this. I was born within that pile of masonry stone, plaster and paint, a long time ago. And when I first read that, I thought, okay, so we're going back to this, whoever this narrator is, we're going back to, like, the beginning of their life, like, their very birth. The narrator talks about living with their mother, so they definitely have a memory of their childhood. And when I was thinking about who this could be, I was like, Nana Reha does not remember her childhood or anything like even remotely close to that. So I was like, okay, well, this definitely can't be her. And then I thought, well, maybe it's the child, but we haven't even met the child yet. And I, for some reason, have a feeling that it's not this, it isn't this child. And by this child, I mean the one that Nana Reha, we think, goes and finds. I mean, she definitely does find it at some point, but we don't know when or how. But when I was reading about this, I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it would be that child. So the narrator goes on to describe what it was like going up in his house. Well, his. I, we don't know. We don't know that. Um, okay, well, yeah, I'll just say it is a boy because I do find out later in the chapter. Sorry, that kind of slipped. <laughs> but he describes the house as such. Although I don't remember it, on the day I was born, the house already smelled how it would smell forevermore. Its porous stones had absorbed the good aromas of three generations of hard-working men and three of women who were sticklers for cleanliness with their oils and soaps. The walls were impregnated with the family recipes and the clothes boiling in white soap. The scents of my grandmother's pecan sweets, of her preserves and jams, of the thyme and apazote that grew in pots in the garden, and more recently of the oranges, blossoms, and honey. They always floated in the air when I read that, I was like, damn, I wouldn't mind living there. So it sounds like the narrator grew up in a very loving household with a massive, massive family. The narrator then goes on to personify the house, saying, it was a living house, the one that saw me born. If it sometimes gave off the scent of orange blossom in winter, or some unattributable giggles were heard in the middle of the night, nobody was scared. They were part of the house's personality of its essence. When I read this chapter, it kind of reminded me of my Nana's house when I was growing up. Um, Like, I can still remember exactly the way it looked. Like, every room, like, it was such a place of, like, being a child. That sounds funny in a sense, but I mean, like, just being, like, super carefree in a place where, like, you explored, you laughed, you slept. Like, it was just, like, everything. Like, it was very angelic in a very safe and loving place um 
Yeah, so when I read this, I I think the writing was good enough to really, and for anybody that has memories like that, or somewhere that, like, meant a lot to them, like a place, like a building, a, a river, like, literally anywhere, but I think the writing, if you do read it, it, like, gives you those memories back, in a sense. Like, the writing is very good in the sense that it makes you imagine things, like, in your own head, which is always, I've always really loved that aspect of books. It's always been something that I've really greatly appreciated. The narrator then goes on to talk about his life in the present tense, saying, But I'm old. The children I have left, and now even my grandchildren, make my decisions for me. So I think there's definitely a shift in how his life was when he was younger versus how it is now, just by kind of like the tone of the writing. To me, he honestly doesn't seem that happy. He says, They speak to me as if I didn't hear them or couldn't understand them. The thing is, I'll admit, I hear, but I don't listen. Now, I don't blame him. I think we're all responsible for that, at least at some point in our lives. But we also know now that this narrator has children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. So that may narrow our options down to who it is a little bit. He then goes on to talk about reminiscing on, on his childhood and his past. So I definitely think he's kind of in a state of, you know, here I am, everybody does things for me, I don't really do anything on my own anymore, and I think he kind of misses his childhood. And that is all we get from our secret narrator for chapter two. And this brings us to chapter three, the empty rocking chair, which I can only assume you guys know what that means, because who is the only character in this novel who uses a rocking chair? That's right, Nana Reha. However, Nana Reha is not our narrator for this chapter. Our narrator is Beatrice Cortez de Morales. Now, if you remember from chapter one, she is Francisco Morales' wife. So she lives on the estate with the Morales family where Nana Reha also lives. So in this chapter, we're taken back to the day where Nana Reha goes missing. Beatrice is woken up by Pola the maid because Pola obviously is like, where the hell is Nana Reha? Like, she's in, she's not in her chair. She's always in her chair. She's not in her chair. Like, where is this woman? And Beatrice is like, oh my god, like, where is she? But instead of, like, going to search for her with her husband or, like, any of the workers, she just goes to Nana Reha's chair and just, like, sits in it. And I was like, when I read that, I was like, what are you doing? Like, first of all, that is Nana Reha's chair. Okay, she loves that chair. Never leaves that chair. Why are you sitting in her chair? Like, she doesn't even like you. Like, remember in chapter one, she was like, Nana Reha was, said, I only like uh, Francisco and Pola. Like, if she knew that woman was sitting in her chair, she would be very upset. But Beatrice just sits in her chair and, like, waits for news. And while she's sitting there, she kind of is, like, thinking the worst case scenario. Like, she's definitely dead. Like, she thinks to herself, hmm, okay, well, she's really old. And if they find her, she's more than likely dead. And I was like, okay, like, if someone you love is missing, I don't really think you're gonna first, like, your first thought is gonna be, oh, they're dead. Like, they're dead. Like, why would you go to the worst case scenario? I think she cares, but I don't think she cares, like, about her. I think she just cares for, like, the whole family, like, the whole people, like, everyone that lives on the estate. I think she's like, oh, like, that would be a bummer. But I don't think she cares, like, oh, that would be so devastating to me, personally. So... I don't know. I'm kind of upset with Beatrice at this point, like, just a little bit. 
she even sends um, some of her workers to go bring back a casket. Like, that's how certain she thinks that she's dead. Like, I don't know what's wrong with this woman. I really, I really don't. She, she's on my, she's on my nerves. So then they find her and uh, they bring her back and Beatrice is like, oh, here's the body. What? Like, I, I can't even read this chapter without, like, squirming inside. I was like, you know what? First of all, get out of her chair. Second of all, you better hope she's alive and doesn't find you sitting in her chair. So I would give Nana Reha all the permission to smack you. And finally, we're given the good news that Nana Reha is indeed alive. And this brings us to chapter four. Like I said, I've already done two chapters and it's almost nine minutes. So like I said, these chapters are very, very short. But without further ado, I present to you In the Shade of the Anakachita. Chapter 4. So chapter 4 consists of the narrator focusing on Francisco Morales and him finding Nana Reha. So some laborers finally found Nana Reha and they go up to Francisco and they tell him that she refused to answer them or move from where she was when they found her. And I don't know why they're upset because Nana Reha answers to no one. When Francisco finally gets to her, he's like, Nana Reha, where did you go? Like, why, why did you disappear? And she says, I came to find him. And he's like, who? And she's like, the baby that was crying. So yes, finally get to meet the baby. But she's not just holding the baby, she's also holding something else. When he goes to reach for it, he holds it and then drops it to the ground because it is actually a beehive and with active live bees in it. So he's like, oh my God, like how, why were you carrying that? Like, did they sting you? Those are actual bees. What is wrong with you, Nanareha? Like, you're old, and I get it. You're senile, I get it. But, like, are you crazy, also? When the bees got dropped, they swarmed out to everybody because they're angry, obviously. Like, you can't just drop, you know, a group of bees and have them just be like, oh, okay. So, they fly out, and they're, like, attacking everybody. But then they come right back to the baby. And, like we said in Chapter 1, you know, the baby was found covered in a swarm of bees. So, they are definitely benefiting from a symbiosis relationship. Um, like, they're definitely best friends. So, and every, but like, everybody sees this and they're like, what the hell is happening? And they all back away and they're like, what? Like, I don't understand how this happens. Like, I just don't get it. Um, yeah, that's actually it for chapter four. So, we meet the baby, finally. Thank goodness. I was kind of hoping we would sooner or later have it not be in, like, the middle of the chapter. So... We still have yet to know who the narrator is for chapter two. So next week, we will dive into some chapters. Probably, I'd probably do three chapters as well um, for next for the next episode. Um, but hopefully we do find out who the narrator is and what the heck is up with Nana Reha and this baby covered in a swarm of bees. Thank you guys.